if you were to describe somebody and saying that, oh, they have an innovative mindset, they have a, you know, they think this way or that way. The one thing that's very interesting about that is it's not just because they were wired that way or had it. They're probably actively thinking about this is what I want to do. This is how I want to be. This is what I want my legacy to be known for. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 283 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome back my friends Jeffrey Kindle and Allison Netzer to the show. Jeffrey is the chairman and CEO at Nimbus while Allison is Nimbus's chief marketing and chief strategy officer and today we're going to be diving into some of the biggest trends and perspectives that Jeffrey and Allison have been thinking about, things that they've been seeing, things that they have been discussing to guide you, dear listener, along your journey of growth so that you can level up your digital growth potential. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey and Allison. It is so good to have you both back today. And I think this is the first time that we've been able to share time together on this podcast. Yes, I know. It's amazing. It's exciting. I'm always glad I just get to I get to be on the same podcast with Allison. So, you know, because we're usually separated out. Like, you know, so this is this will be new dynamic for us too. In so many ways we're separated out. So yeah, this will be interesting. We'll see how it goes. We're breaking new ground, exploring, exploring new paths together today. And before we get into the, today's conversation, I always like to start off on a positive note. What is going well for you both, personally or professionally, as you both know, because you've been on here now separate times, what what is good personally or professionally to your pick? Allison, jump in. Oh, man. Well, yeah, no. Uh, personally, I'm super excited about the long weekend coming up. I'm going to see my brother and his family in D.C., so my kids are going to get to see the Capitol for the nice. first time. So that's exciting. And Man, professionally, um, the momentum just in, in our industry and what we're fortunate to be experiencing at Nimbus, a lot of good momentum out there, a lot of good ideas, a lot of exciting stuff to come. What about you, Jeffrey? What's positive in your world right now? One of my uh, sort of prospect friends that I've met, a, a bank CEO, happens to know one of my childhood heroes, Jeff Kendall, the skateboarder. And has set up the lunch for me to meet my childhood hero, who I share a name with, who I've never gotten to meet. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. That's a that's a cool little. Uh, if 12 year old Jeff had, you know, Jeffrey was talking to me, he'd be, he'd be pretty excited. So, that is a cool, like full circle, bring things all back together. So, kudos to you. And um, when when you get that opportunity, it really does, you know, just tie things up like with a nice little bow and it came through a banker so who ever thought that banking would lead to skateboarding or, you know it's so cool it's a thing you you think because i think you know when you think about banking you think oh it's it's 
boring and it's rote and it's mundane. But back to your point, Allison, there's a lot of exciting things that are happening right mm -hmm. now. A lot of momentum. What would you attribute that to from what you're seeing, what you're hearing and, and what you're experiencing? Yeah, well, for me, I, I always experience the momentum because I think I, I seek it out. I think um, it's it's a mistake to, to think it's not there. A lot of it is the work that, that we all do, right? It's surrounding the bank community is to, to go in and to motivate, to coach, to try to remove those obstacles because um, there's a lot of brilliant ideas, a lot of brilliant thinking going on in, in banking. I also think, you know, it's the beginning of the year. So usually there, there's some excitement. Um, but I also think that, you know, the, the bets and the investments that folks have made in the last two to three years, I think they're starting to see a lot of good return on those and, and are wanting to continue and to kind of expand. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's a lot of what I'm seeing. When you talk about those bets and those investments, what are you seeing the traction that they're say, Hey, you know what? We're getting some early wins here. And I think that's the most important part of like starting off a conversation. Like as you both know that I do, it's, it's, it's focusing on the positive. It's focusing on the right. progress because I think in a world of exponential uncertainty, um, which I feel like we're still in, and I was just having this conversation with a banker the other day, um, that around, uh, between the five to $10 billion, dollar asset range they said the team just feels flat right now and they got about a, a thousand 1500 employees the, the team just feels flat and i said well let's talk about that why and they were talking about it's almost like the the, the post-covid rebound um and i said well you gotta you gotta consider where we've been you know because we're coming up on the three-year eve of the covid experience um, we're, we're in a, a period of economic uncertainty, of, of even global macro level uncertainty. Um, and it eventually is going to take a toll on people. So back to your point, taking a time just to pause to reflect of where we've been, what would you attribute some of this positivity to to continue to make these investments going forward into the future? Yeah, well, not surprisingly, I'm not talking about tech investments. Uh, I'm talking about investments in, in different mindsets, of course, investment in brand. But but I think towards the, I'd say, second and third quarter of last year, you know, we saw a lot of our colleagues in the space trying new, new ways of thinking, whether it's a different way to go to market, a different way to speak to, to the market, to their employees, different hiring profiles. There was just a sense of experimentation, a little bit of play, I think, in the second and third quarter of last year. Um, I don't know why that was, but I think we've got to take advantage of it. And I think some people have seen, you know, positive, positive results. And I mean, Jeffrey speaks to bank CEOs every day. And, and I think we're both starting to see the ability and the desire just to try different ways of thinking on for size. Yeah, I think that right there, trying thinking, expand upon that, Jeffrey. Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting because I do think it ties into what we experienced during the pandemic. One thing I always think about is the silver lining of the pandemic is I think it sort of made us all a little bit more resilient, a little bit, you know, harder sort of, yeah. you know, exterior to be able to weather changes, massive changes in our world. And one of the things that I have seen just in the past three, four months in terms of change for, for banks and credit unions that I never saw before the pandemic 
was in the face of economic uncertainty, which you just mentioned, and I fully agree, we're right in that clearly layoffs, the the, the public markets, private markets, everything's sort of, uh, it's a mess, because I think that's a, that's a judgmental word. It just is what it is, but it's very disruptive yeah. right now at the very minimum. The response from banks and credit unions that I've seen has not been retreat and protect and sort of manage risk that way, but rather how do we manage risk by innovating? Like maybe this mm. is the time that we do something different versus go back to our old ways, batten down the hatches and, and lock up. It's, hey, the world's a different place. We need to do something different. How about X? I think that's a markedly different mindset in the leadership of banks and credit unions than we would have seen pre-pandemic had we had this sort of economic uncertainty. Yeah, and you know, as a digital anthropologist, I it, the Digital Growth Institute is now in its 21st year, old enough to legally grab a beer. Um, <laughs> Still young enough to get into some trouble every now and then, but yeah, yeah. But when you think about the idea of mindset and change, and I think even you use the word transformation, I want to get a comparison and, and, and a contrast between those two words because words do have power. And you think about change, you think about transformation. Is, is there any difference here? Is there any distinction that we should be making? Because they are going to impact the way people perceive the world around them, maybe even just a little bit differently, but that those small differences could have huge implications going forward into the future. Yeah, I, I tend to think of transformation as sort of the, you know, the overall large writ large description of things and change is the elements that gets you to transformation, right? Um, you can change intentionally without sort of having the goal of transformation there, but you can't have a goal of transformation without change. And so I see that one is just sort of a subspecies to the other. Um, but I think where people are sort of focused now is, do we need to be completely different or do we need to start innovating and changing in thoughtful steps? And maybe, you know, with no disrespect to the name of your podcast, you know, and digital growth and, and this idea of digital transformation, how do you actually accomplish it? I think it's just been too big and ethereal for people in the past. And now people are going like, okay, I know that's the goal up there, what we're trying to get to, but we're just going to do it by sort of picking and choosing tactical ways that get us closer to there rather than write the whole thing out on a map. So I, I sort of see it as, as more digestible chunks of transformation than it is something different. But Allison, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Yeah, I, I don't agree. <laughs> Right. <laughs> no, I, I that wouldn't be the first time, and it won't be the last. I that to you, yeah. Awesome. Big surprise. <laughs> Big surprise. No, um, no, I, I agree, but um, I think it, it's all about the the point of access, right? Some people, some people feel like they need a big change, right? Right or wrong, they need to throw everything out. They need to feel like they're starting from scratch for whatever reason, right? Um, some people may have been burned by that and want to to kind of do the more incremental way. I think what's important is to understand what will it take for you, right, to to have that outcome, right? And, and some of it's just style differences, some of it's personality differences. But I think when you're talking about leading an institution or leading a company, 
I think that's where that's where I agree, and certainly with with Jeffrey, which is making the decision smaller, making it digestible, because really the outcome that I think we're all seeking in our industry is momentum. And you tend to get momentum from those small revolutions of the wheel, right, as opposed to just hitting the gas. So I think that as, a, as leaders, I think the more we can create momentum, that's what brings people along. For personal growth, for kind of personal goals, you can go from scratch, you can take it day by day. But I think for institutional leadership, it does have to be that more incremental way. You know, I would agree, and no offense taken on that at all, Jeffrey. When you think about the the intersection of marketing, sales, technology, and human behavior, technology is moving and accelerating at an exponential rate, and as a result, marketing and sales strategies are too, but it's that human behavior piece. That is what I'm finding. We we need to rethink that, that lens because people do aren't accelerating exponentially. There's potential for them to, but that begins with small, simple steps, incremental wins that where, you know, two, you add that to two, well, that becomes four, four, you double that, that becomes eight, eight, 16. But, but you can even go into smaller chunks into that. Well, one and one now equal two, you know? So you're looking at those, I think that word momentum, that word, Momentum is about getting wind in the cells or to use the analogy of the wheel. But once you get wind in the cells, the ship begins to move forward and it's not going to move forward very quickly where I think there are some that get frustrated with that. So we need to celebrate once again, the progress that we have made by looking at behind it where we've come from. Cause I think the other thing too, for those that aren't inclined to go all in and embrace quote-unquote change and transformation they're looking out at the horizon thinking are we ever going to get there why even why even leave the shore to begin with um and so it's a matter of looking at the world through kind of these two different lenses which comes back to something that i'm really big on it's it's the human factors it's the empathy tying into all of this you're shaking your head in uh, on this jeffrey which what where's your mind right now i I 100 agree with you i think for years, when we talked about transformation, it was about technology, processes, tools, and what everybody missed the point on, myself included. It's, it, you know, no one's born knowing this. You got to figure it out as you learn. Transformation is about personal transformation, first and foremost. It's about developing a new mindset. And I always tell people, it's like, if you think that transformation is installing a bunch of APIs and, you know, sort of ticking the box of, I've got, got Highland, I've got APIs in my tech stack, and now we're transforming into a digital organization, you're, you're mistaken. Because what happens the next time a new technology pops up or a new approach, the question isn't about a particular thing that you need to do. It's about the mindset of your people going, how are we getting ready for that next thing, even though we can't see it? Are we making ourselves open and adaptable? Are we thinking about things and how we're going to improve them either incrementally or with large change? Those are the things that have to happen before any change in the organization ever happens. And we don't talk enough about personal growth and personal transformation as a necessary ingredient to organizational transformation and change. And I think you kind of, you're obviously a big proponent of that. And and I learned a lot of that from you, uh, James Robert. And so that's where I get excited about sort of talking about the individual as part of the process for the organization. 
Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown, Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. What does it take to get to that point? Because you, you're right. This is a personal passion of mine. I do believe that for organizations to achieve any type of transformation, whether that be you know digital transformation, brand transformation, cultural transformation, transformation must begin within it must start with the self and then the team because teams are made up of individuals and when teams are transforming well that's the natural byproduct of that is organizational cultural digital transformation brand transformation whatever you want to say but first principles where how do you begin that practically speaking because i see there are some leaders who tend to want to shy away from this conversation because it is more personal. Yes, they do. Uh, but I think um, it starts, and this is, this is something that's really important, is who are we doing the work for, mm. right? So Jeffrey and I both work at Nimbus. We have to be clear every day, who are we doing the work for and here's a big hint it's not for us as individuals and it's actually not even for Nimbus, right and so at the risk of sounding Pollyanna centering and asking yourself consistently who are we doing the work for helps you right on that path because you're not going to go after the the shiny objects like Jeffrey was mentioning or what's next so that you can have an article written about you because you did whatever things right that's not you're not that's not who you're doing the work for so i think it starts there and then i think it also starts with who you work for right i mean i've i've talked so many times about how how grateful i am for for jeffrey knight's partnership because i have the autonomy to focus on me to focus on my transformation making myself a better leader so that I can better serve others and who we do the work for. So it really does start at the top of the organization. And if you look at the number of my colleagues that are able to invest in their personal brand, who've taken time off, who've pursued education, that's that's practically how you start, is working in an environment where you have the permission and encouragement to do that. If you're not in that environment, change it. Um, because that's really how you how you practically start. I think back on just my own personal journey of growth that has had an impact, either positively or negatively. And I think that's where you you kind of start to have to look at things very objectively. It's like mm-hmm. it, it, things are the way they are, and what am I going to take from each one of these experiences, good, bad, positive, negative, for the first 10 years, once again, you know, with, with DGI now being 21 years old, first 10 years of the business, I tried to do it by myself. And, and maybe there was like youthful pride and arrogance because I did get started when I was 20, 21. Um, 10, 10, I think. Yeah, 10, 10. Yeah. But it wasn't until those first 
you know, almost decaded and, and, and literally like having the potential to lose it all and then going multiple six figures into debt to float this to the other side that I raised my hand and said, look, I need help. I'm struggling. I'm lost. Can someone at least just point me in the right direction? Um, and that was a big ego, like, reset. Um, mm. And I think there's that to this, too. It's like, like you said, who are we doing this for? It's, you kind of have to die to the self so that you can then make way for the new, but the new is not about you. The new is about something far greater than you. And in my second book, Banking on Change, I'm writing to this this new mental model, you have to actually care for growth. And it all starts by committing to a cause, which is the C, committing to a cause greater than the self, greater than the present moment. And surrounding yourselves with people who share a similar perspective do make it easier. But once again, if I think now back over the last 10, 12 years, I have always had an external outside guide coaching program that I've been in personally to get that guidance that I think sometimes we as leaders just get, we just sometimes get lost. And I'm willing to admit that, that I need that help, that guidance, even now to this day and probably should have had it a lot earlier, sooner or often. I know Jeffrey, you, you've done some of this work too. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking what you're saying. I'm, I'm transported back to, you know, junior year and undergrad or philosophy, uh, from Aristotle and and um, a lot of people don't know that about me, but I have it. That was my background was uh, Aristotelian philosophy, and, and I was like, "This is never going to help me in my career." But maybe maybe there is one place right now where I can or I can make it relevant. But um, you can use it now. That's right. But Aristotle always said something I thought was really meaningful to me early in my life, which was when you talk about people having a quality or a virtue, a good quality, and, and we use that word virtue all the time. One thing that was very declarative about him is that people often confuse being virtuous or being capable or being skilled as a passive thing, but those who have it always know it's active and it's never passive. And so I think about sort of, you know, if you were to describe somebody as saying that, oh, they have an innovative mindset, they have a, you know, they think this way or that way. The one thing that's very interesting about that is it's not just because they were wired that way or had it. They're probably actively thinking about this is what I want to do. This is how I want to be. This is what I want my legacy to be known for, maybe at the ultimate. And then they're acting accordingly to get there. And I know that's really ethereal, but I sort of think about it when we bring people into our team, I'm always looking for, do they have the natural curiosity or the natural sort of drive to say, I'm, I understand what it takes to change and I'm willing to make the sort of active commitment to doing it and have that mindset versus, yeah, I'm really creative. That's who you are or you try to be creative and yeah. act in a creative way. And and I make that distinction because it's not a, it's not a God-given gift necessarily. It's something you build and you exercise and go through that. And I think that that's, when you talk about like, what do you have to have to make change? You got to have people that are, that are doing that. Let's stay on this for just a bit because it's something Chuck Allen posted recently the other day, which he has a great podcast, mm. the Cool Change Podcast. Chuck was recommending to go beyond thinking about the to-do list and take some time to consider the to-be list. It's like, what do I, really, what do I want to be? Back to your point of, of 
of the future, and I would say it's almost the future self. And when, and this gets back into those three levels of transformation: the individual, the team, and then the organization. What's the future self of the organization? Um, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, organizational psychologist, has written a fantastic book called "Be Your Future Self Now." And it really is about the intentions that we make in the present moment. Are they moving us closer to the future self or are they moving us further away from the future self? And that begs a deeper question. Do we even know what we want the future self to be? Oh, man, we are we are getting deep here. I think it's a really great question. And I read an article yesterday talking about how photography isn't real and it was like this this guy well i'll send it to you you can put in the show notes but basically the guy was questioning all of all of reality and so it got a little deep but then the point he made actually kind of references back to to jeffrey's point which is if you're continually curious if you're kind of like always the student of the game if you're always in motion right and kind of a lot of the the things that you you force us to think about so much, James Robert, is we may not know, but we do know that we're heading towards it. And that was this writer's point, which is, I don't know exactly what I'm going to photograph next, what I'm going to leave out of the composition or include in the composition, what lens I'm going to use, but I know I'm moving towards it, mm. right? I know I'm going to take another picture. And so I think doing a lot of the things we've been talking about, certainly the things you've been talking about for decades. I don't know what the future organization looks like or the future Allison looks like, but I know that if I ask enough questions, if if I surround myself with enough great people on the team, I'll not only get there, I'll, I'll like it when I do. It's so interesting. You'd say that because you're preparing yourself for what's next, even though the what's next might be a question mark. Right. And that's, we talk about yeah, this all right. the time and um, in our organization and just mentality wise is, is you sort of, you know, athletes don't sort of start preparing when they know what the next race is. They're, they're constantly preparing, even though they don't know what the next challenge is. Digital and business is the same way. You get into a mindset, you get into a pattern, you get into a way of thinking, not because what we're going to go do tomorrow is going to be necessarily the end all be all. It's what's in the future that we don't know. But if we have practiced that mindset, we're going to be better, you know, prepared to take advantage of it. So it really is about, um, you know, preparing yourself for what the unknown. And that idea of almost the question, even if it's what's next and we don't know what that is, it's the question behind the question that can lead to momentum. Because when we look at brain neurology, questions light up the brain questions force someone to pay attention to the matter at hand i think that's why questions are such a a transformative coaching tool to have versus a definitive statement so it's like what's next and that's you know we're, we're going to aristotle let's hop over to socrates and we can get into the whole socratic method of questioning um here. You get college credit uh, if you listen to this course, I think. It's just... <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, this has got to count for continuing education for someone, I think. CCE, yeah. You know, the, the idea here is when it comes to, uh, you use the word curiosity, Allison. Mm-hmm. I'm curious 
That's such a meta thought. We're going really meta. And when you were thinking about yeah, the are. whole the whole idea of photography, I was like, okay, we're going to stay focused here. We're going to stay focused because I want to go down this path over there, but we're going to come back. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious. What's your recommendations for a leader or perhaps even a leadership team who have lost the spark for curiosity? How how can they become a curious kindergartner once again and view the world through curious eyes, childlike eyes? To get a whole team to be curious, and I'm you know very fortunate. I, I feel like I'm surrounded by folks. Um, some some practical kind of recommendations um, is to you know to if you're a reader, read. If you're a music listener, music listen. Do whatever, but whatever you are. Whatever that amount of time is you normally do that thing, do it, but do it in a different discipline or area Mm. just for a week, not forever, right? So Jeffrey is really into uh, music, right? And he's, he's into funk and he's got a bunch of records and stuff. If he spent the same amount of time just listening to classical music, even if he hates it, there is there is neurology behind that it will spark and open different neural pathways. Yes. When we're kindergartners, all of our neural pathways are open, right? And so that's how you get back to that childlike sense. He may never be a classical music fan, but he'll go back and listen to his funk records in a very new way. So that's first and foremost, that's that's one and the second is in your language in your day-to-day sorry i get super fired up about this but in your language in your day-to-day is tell me more and it sounds fake or it sounds like you're trying to be a psychologist the first few times you do it but if you can just do that on a regular basis one for your team it creates a culture that questions or not challenges because that kills curiosity faster than just about anything But then it really teaches you, again, neurologically, that there's always a next connection. And that's what kindergartners do when they're asking you, why, why, why over and over again? And it's so cute. And they're practicing their curiosity. Saying, tell me more is the non-annoying adult way to keep connecting and keep going, you know, further and further and keep pulling that, that thread on that sweater. I like that. Tell yep. me more is the non-annoying adult way to ask why. Tell me more. Yes. Can you explain that? Can you expand upon that even further? I like that. I like that right. idea. What's your take on this as we start to wrap up here, Jeffrey, on, on, on getting the curiosity spark back for those that it might have been dimmed for multiple reasons, which we don't even have to get into here. But I know it exists for a lot of leaders within this vertical. Well, first off, Allison's being super polite. In, in a public format because she she usually calls me the annoying five-year-old but i'm like why 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 <laughs> there is a reason yeah. for it but Fair. she's always more there eloquent at asking yeah. the probing questions if it were i completely agree taking taking your sort of skill set and applying it another way or a set of interests and looking at, at something that you're not doing every day is super helpful i always tell people i'm a huge motorcycle nut I like to work on my motorcycles. It's not necessarily just because I love motorcycles, but I actually find that it keeps me really mentally fresh. It's, it's all about solving puzzles. It's about process. It's about paying attention to detail, which I have to do in my job. 
have to do as a leader of this business. But I also need to also go do that on some things that are completely unrelated. And I will discover insights about like, oh my gosh, this is really important not to miss that step. Like, did I do that over here? Or did I look at it as carefully? Especially when you're about to get on something that you're putting your life on the line for, you, you, you look at it a different way, like air, air tire pressure matters, right? You know, so right. uh, I think that just everybody's going to have that one, you know, something that they can apply it to. Like, you know, whatever, whatever they're, they're interested in or their natural inclination to but I really do like that suggestion and I think it's powerful. Yeah. You know, as, as we do wrap up here, this has been a very interesting, fascinating conversation. I've learned, <laughs> I've learned a lot, uh, as I always do, but I've learned a lot about each of you just personally, but then also when you bring the two of you together, there's a whole different dynamic. And I think that's another kind of key takeaway. Um, mm. We have to continuously transform our environment if we're wanting to transform ourselves, because it's always going to provide a different perspective. I think about a conversation that I recently had with Maurice Lisi, who's leading the digital transformation initiatives over at uh, Beeper Bank in Italy. And I've known Maurice for probably five or six years now. And he's talking about more of a, we can't separate the two worlds. You have digital over here and then you have the physical branch world over here. It's about bringing everyone together because that's how we learn. Um, there's definitely a, a cultural aspect of a culture of collaboration that leads to innovation, that innovation, micro innovation will then lead to putting wind in the cells. And that leads to momentum, which is exactly how we started this conversation. When we, when we wrap up here, I always like to send the dear listener off with just something that they can do. And to pose the question, what would be the one small step that they could take next to gain some momentum in their cells as they continue for on their own journey of growth? So I think if you want to build momentum, you have to actually recognize that you're already in motion. It can be very daunting mm. to think that it's something that you have to start or, you know, we think about the pushing, you know, I'm from the South, right? So carrying the water uphill, like that sounds daunting. You're already in motion. So at least recognizing that you're not starting from a standstill. There's just no way physically that you are. I think will help you take those additional steps towards not starting momentum, but building momentum. Every single person is operating with momentum right now, whether they whether they know it or not. You're getting into a little Newtonian physics on this one. See, we've covered all lens of the spectrum. Well, here. I mean, I went to state. I went to a state school, but I had to bring some. I did go to college, so I had to bring that in uh, here at the end just to make sure that, that everyone knows that I did go to college. So, yeah, uh, Jeffrey. What about no, you, I, Jeffrey? It, so it, the fun part about being so close with Allison as I get to disagree with her now. I actually think that sometimes people can sort of see themselves from a point of inertia, right? And sometimes we just feel like we're, mm. yes, we're in motion, but we feel like mm. we're in the same motion where we can't sort of break out of the path because we're just, we are where we are. And I always find it helpful to just do something different, just break something. It could be big, it could be, you know, probably start small with better. It might just be changing the format of a meeting. You know, if you feel like, for example, one of the things that we do is our leadership team. We had a, you know, three hour meeting that was the same every single week. And we did that for months. And then I was like, man, we just need something different. It's not necessarily that the format was inherently bad, but you shift it, make some friction and that'll cause you to start going, okay, now I'm paying attention differently and thinking about it a little bit different. So 
that's the trap I see people getting into is just that inertia piece and, you know, cause yourself to go a little bit different and it'll, it'll, it'll compound and, and turn into momentum, I think. That's such a practical example and takeaway. And it comes back to what I was mentioning before about environment, which on that note, same author, Dr. Benjamin Hardy wrote a fantastic book called Willpower Doesn't Work. And essentially that if we're wanting to make any type of change or transformation personally or professionally, we're going to have to change the environment. And your point about the meeting, that's an environmental change. You change the stimulus, people are going to pay attention. And for a practical takeaway on that for the dear listener, if you're wanting to, you know, change the meeting format, highly recommend the level 10 meeting approach um, by Gino Wickman um, from EOS. Mm -hmm. It is a really interesting perspective. We didn't rehearse this, but that's exactly what we did. So we were implementing EOS right <laughs> now and we changed our meetings to L10 style yeah. meetings and that has made a huge difference for us. So funny you bring that up. That's uh, exactly what happened. There you go. So what a great conversation, a lot of practical perspective as we wrap up here. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Thank you, Allison, for joining me for this conversation. What is the best way for someone who is listening? They want to connect with either one of you. How can they do that? Well, Jeffrey's huge on TikTok. Um, so you want to look, <laughs> they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Allison, that's right. Tend to put everything, uh, everything there. Be happy to happy to chat and grab your book. Yeah, you could buy the book. Uh, think like a brand, not a bank. Uh, that would be fine. You could do that as well. The link is is on my LinkedIn profile as well. Highly recommended. And if you want to go back and catch the episodes, we did a two-parter, Alice and I did a two-parter on that book. Jeffrey, what about you? We've had some really good conversations as well that you can go back and listen to to catch up. But how can someone connect with you, Jeffrey? Well, Allison's kids aren't old enough to call around for being cringy about TikTok references. But my 15-year-old would definitely <laughs> call me out on that one. But uh yeah, no, the best way is LinkedIn. That's that's always accessible on LinkedIn. So please reach out. Connect with Jeffrey, connect with Allison, learn with them both, grow with them both. Thank you both for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today. Thanks, James Robert. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.